On Yangaseo, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists, discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokey and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hello there. Happy New Year, 2022. We are recording this the end of December. So when you listen to this, it's going to be 2022. So I hope the future is great. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, I'm really looking forward to the future. (laughs) So I don't really do resolutions. I don't know. Do you guys do resolutions ever or? Yeah. Yeah. Yes and no. I feel like I don't like the whole New Year, New You thing because Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. I don't think that we need to be any better than we were before. Um, But I do like setting goals. Yeah, exactly. I will. Last year I did the thing I did the the word thing, like pick a a word of the year. And my word last year was persistence. And I was, I think I achieved holding true to that word of the year, but okay. So this is the thing I want to say to like you two and my listeners or and our listeners. So The other day, Hazel, my daughter, she's eight, almost nine. And she was, she made, she's learning how to make eggs. And like, this is like her thing. She just wants to, she like loves cracking eggs and making herself like scrambled eggs. And that's great. Like I'm all about letting her, you know, cook with my guidance. And the other day, you know, she did it like literally all on her own. Like she turned on, I mean, I was in the room, but I just like let her at the gas stove by herself. But she, you know, turned on the gas stove and she made like a scrambled egg and she sat down and she looks at me and she goes, I am very proud of myself. And if you're like a parent, I think like you often think like, what are things that I do or say maybe like subconsciously? that our kids are picking up. And like, I always wonder, and I always think of it in like the negative way. I'm like, oh God, like, what am I saying? Like, you know, cause I try to be careful. I don't like to talk about like, say like, oh, I don't want to eat that. It's too many calories and I have to work it off. Like I don't Absolutely. like to have- I never do that. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to have that like negative, like body talk. So anyway, I think a lot about like, what am I, what am I saying that affects them like negatively? And I never think to myself like, well, maybe I'm also saying things that affects them positively. So I know that that is one thing. A lot of times when I'm talking to Neil, like whether it's about like my books or even the podcast, like I know that there have been many times where she's overheard a conversation. And that is, I, I say that phrase kind of a lot. Like I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, my book did this today. And like, I'm really proud of myself or our podcast. We got this email from like a listener in like Switzerland, which is so freaking cool. Like I'm, you know, I'm so proud of us. And I realized that I do say that. Even my mom used to say, like, when I would get in trouble when I was little, I would cry and go, be proud, mommy, be proud. Anyway, so, so anyway, the fact that I kind of heard my daughter, like, echo, I'm really proud of myself. It made me feel really good because I, like, again, I, that is one thing that I can say, like, she definitely got that directly from me. And I think that that is something that, like, we should all do like we should all like be able to say even if it's something as simple as like oh I clean the sink after I brush my teeth like you should be able to say like I'm proud of myself so I guess in the new year I just want to say like to my podcast hosts and to our listeners like I just want you to think about that like each day when you're doing your even everyday tasks like be proud of yourself and like maybe vocalize it say out loud like I did that and I'm really proud of myself 
I know this isn't like a self-help podcast. No, I'm not trying like, to make it, but I guess I just like, we talk about K-dramas because it brings us joy and we want to put that joy out into the world. And so I just thought I'd talk about that in the new year. Like, be proud of yourself. Can I add something to that? Because I love Absolutely. that so much. I love that that happened with your daughter. And I had actually a very similar thing today as well with my daughter. So today was technically our last day of school in our district, but my daughter and her dad, they had tickets to see the musical Frozen in downtown Chicago back in 2020, but it got canceled, right? Ooh, okay. So they reissued the tickets this year and they just randomly gave them a matinee for today. And so she took the last day off of school, which was fine with me. It was the last day of the semester. So she's 16 and she, she doesn't have her license yet because we're finishing up driver's ed, but it was in the city. The show was in the city and we live far out in the suburbs, like at least an hour plus outside the city. And she's like, I'm kind of nervous because I think dad's going to have me drive there. And she's never driven on the highway ever. And this oh. is like tollway, highway, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I am at school today. I'm in the middle of teaching a class, but I see on my watch, mom, guess what? And so I quick, you know, grab my phone and I type what? She said, I'm in a parking garage in Chicago and in all caps, I got us here. Oh, that's so cute. I got I, us right? here. That's and I, so adorable. And I wrote, OMG, like all caps, so proud of you. <laughs> so proud of you. Yeah. She was so proud of herself. And then She should be. I and don't even I, want to do that. I know. I don't either. I hate. <laughs> I, know, I don't even want to drive that. I hate driving to the city. And then I hate driving in the city because I am a suburban driver and city drivers are scary. And mm-hmm. then par- the parking garage the like parking garage that we usually use all the time in the theater district, it's one of those that's like super steep and windy. And like you just feel like if you take your foot off the gas at all, you're just going to like roll back down. And like you have to te- you have to keep like the steering wheel cranked because it's so narrow. And it's just, yeah, it, it terrifies me. But anyway, I was super, super proud of her. When I was 16, I was not driving on the highway yet unless my driver's ed instructor made me like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. super huge that she's doing this and she doesn't even have her license yet this is on her permit so i'm very proud of her and i'm very proud of her and happy for her for being outwardly proud of herself too so that just goes along with that yeah yeah that's the thing like be you know proud of like especially small moments like i feel like sometimes we think we need to do like grand things to like praise ourselves and sometimes it's just little like she made hazel made an egg And she was like, I'm really proud of myself. And I was like, you frick. I looked at her and I go, you should be. (laughs) You made that egg. You enjoy, (laughs) you enjoy every bite. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I love eggs. Hazel's going to make me eggs when I come visit. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't get shell in them. She does, she does a good job. She does a good job. She knows how to turn off the stove and everything. So. Well, we had a very small teachable moment yesterday, which was I was working out to Supernatural, the Oculus program that you all put me on to. And I was doing Swan Lake, which was a very fun workout. So it was all the music to Swan Lake. And there was the coach who leads it was doing a rendition of the story. And he was very funny. And anyway, I was doing it in the living room with my my 11-year-old, my 11-year-old's best friend, and my daughter, who's six, all sitting on the couch and watching me. And <laughs> I could hear them, like, laughing at me. And I didn't yeah. care. I was, like, looking no. out. No, nope. And... They, I heard one of them, like, dare one of them, like, you know, because you're in a headset, so you can't see. And so someone was like, go up and touch her and see what happens. You'll get punched in the head. And I said, girls, this is my time. <laughs> <laughs> and they thought it was so amazing. They just kept saying it over and over. My time. My time. <laughs> 
And I felt like that was the lesson was, you know what, as a woman, sometimes, especially a mother, it's like, you know what, kids, this is my time. That's my hour for me every day. It's my hour for me. And I tell my kids, I'm like, this is my supernatural time. And I do it right when I get home from work. And so they don't get dinner until after I've done supernatural because otherwise the workout will never happen. And so I love it. Like you, you have to carve out that time and not apologize for it. Good for you for doing an hour. I do a half hour and that feels like enough to carve. Like that's already like, I feel like I have to like prep for that, but it's like a half hour. That's 30 minutes. That is not long. Well, I don't usually do a, I don't usually do a full hour on the headset, but like by the time I get upstairs and I change and I do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I add in like, you know, I skip the cool down and I do a meditation at the end instead. And yeah, I'm just saying that like, it's a reasonable amount of time. And it was good for them to hear that I have my time. And I thought it was good for them. Later, they just liked it so much that they just kept using it over and over. And I was like, you don't forget that. Someday you'll need your time. Too. Exactly. Yeah, I was just gonna say, and they should also understand that, you know, everyone needs their time. So I think that's great. My time. <laughs> I don't think I mean, like, my time. our kids, especially like our kids don't especially when they're younger, they don't realize that we do anything other than parent them. And even when they get older, I think it's still important. Like, because my kids go off and do their own thing all the time. So I'm I'm kind of lucky in that, like, when I say I'm going to go do Supernatural, I'm not, like, abandoning, like, playing Barbies with them or a board game or, you know, or something like when, when they were little. Ew. I, <laughs> Let's be I, real. I don't Ew. like either of those. I don't like either of those. And yeah, I had to I do both. Remember. My son yeah. now, my, my 12 and a half year old son, all he ever wants my daughter and I to do is play Twister with him. And my daughter and I both hate Twister. No. What the hell? And he loves it. And he loves it. But, you know, no, but I think it's just important. Like, one of my students yesterday, I said something about my kids, and my student goes, and this was like a third or a fourth grader, you have kids? I'm like, yeah, I don't live here like a troll. Like, (laughs) I go home, I have my own family, like, stuff like that. Like, I think kids just don't realize sometimes that grown-ups are people too no they're mm-hmm. in a play they're the starring role and we walk on to like serve their interests yep that's yep, a good yep. way to put it we're supporting cast and i feel like this is a good segue into what we're talking about because i also feel like <laughs> yes. for many folks real life especially adulting comes with joys but it also comes with a sense of like drudgery occasionally And even if, like, you're, like, living your best life and having your best goals, like, sometimes you still need to escape into personal fantasy. And that's what we're going to be reflecting on today. Great segue. You could have a great life but have squirrels in your attic and you just need to get away. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Speaking from experience. Anyway. So we fell in love with K-drama, not only as viewers who consume good content, but as romance writers who appreciate a well-written story. And when we realized after one drama, Crash Landing on You, we talk about this all the time, that K-dramas had some sort of secret sauce or special formula that truly got romance right, we were hooked. Granted, we love dramas in all genres, but it was the romance that reeled us in, and it's the romance that has been a common thread throughout our love affair with this entertainment medium. We've all been writing professionally for close to a decade. Isn't that kind of weird to say? That is weird to say. Mm -hmm. Like, 2014 is when we all debuted, so we're getting close. Mm -hmm. And I think it's safe to say that, like it or not, we watch television and movies through a writer's lens. We know story structure, romance beats, and all the common tropes and themes. This is not to say that we aren't constantly learning and evolving as writers, but 
The blessing of being an evolving writer can also be a curse. Case in point, my kids and I saw Spider-Man No Way Home just a couple days ago, opening weekend. And while I'm not going to spoil it for you, dear viewers, I did unintentionally spoil it for my kids. Not because I'd seen it or read anything about it, but about 10 minutes into the movie, something happened that I won't reveal, and I leaned over to my kids and said, oh, okay, because of part I won't mention and how I can tell this story is structured, this is how the movie is going to end. And I was right. (laughs) (laughs) Cue triumphant gloat, but also sheepish grin, because both my kids were like, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, but I I need you to know that I know. (laughs) Like, my ego does not rest when it comes to story structure. And I need I'm like, the credit. Yes, I do. I need the credit. So before we dive in and tell everyone about Universal Fantasy, which is what we're talking about today, Megan and Leah, do either of you have a similar story, or am I the only one who inadvertently spoils highly anticipated movies for their children? So what's funny is that my son is actually really, really good with movie plots. He can recognize like typical conventions and characterizations and guess how a story is going to go. So he loves Dwayne Johnson movies, which like kind so of do I. Kids. Yeah, I mean, I do too, <laughs> but they're really popular for like kids, you know, around my kid's age. And so when we watched Jumanji, he like had a lot, he like could tell kind of where the story was going, what was going to happen with certain characters. I was pretty impressed. He does it a lot. And then, and my daughter will always be like, no, that's not going to happen, only because she has to play devil dad figure. <laughs> Um, So I don't really spoil things for my family, but I will say that I did guess a twist in my name early on, and I have proof because I messaged Leah about it. So I don't want to say what it is for those who haven't seen it, but going back to (laughs) what I said at the beginning, I was pretty proud of myself. (laughs) Um, So I liked my name a lot. You know, we'll talk about it in in another pod coming up. But so I didn't necessarily think the plot was wholly unique and I think it's because I have seen like way too many gangster movies so I I don't know I do I love when I'm able to kind of tell how the story convention um is going so for me I would say I tend not to spoil unless somebody like I ask permission sometimes (laughs) but case in point I'd like to say that I've been tortured by reply 1988 for over six months without making a peep except for bitching about how you all haven't watched it. And then poor Megan yesterday messaged me because she'd accidentally come across a spoiler and she's finally watching the drama. Mm -hmm. And so she was sort of happy that she saw it. So there we are. But like, I was glad that I didn't spoil it for her. So yeah, I'm like a couple episodes in and it's okay that I was spoiled for the most part, but it was really funny because I messaged Leah and I was like, Leah, I just saw, I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. I just saw a 1998 spoiler. Her response was so funny. It was like, what, where? I protected you for months. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like the way she said it, it was like life or death. I protected you for months. And I felt like I like totally let her down. I felt so bad. I felt painful. You were reading about, you were reading about uh, what? My roommate is a Gumio. And then they threw a spoiler in there and like F off people. So this is like. Yeah, that's the thing. I wasn't reading anything about Reply 1988. It was about the actress, obviously, who's the heroine in 1988. And she is the heroine in Gumio. So I was reading an article there and it threw in a spoiler about 1988. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I didn't, ex- I, that's the thing. Leah was like, what were you reading? I was like, I swear, I swear. I didn't, I didn't and so here's my thing is that I refuse to spoil myself. 
even if I'm highly stressed, I don't want to know. And I yeah. get actually mad. Like, there's not many times I get mad. I get actually mad when people spoil content without any warnings. So, like, dude, no. I feel like that's the path that you get cool for Christmas. And <laughs> where I give a wag of the finger is stuff like Twitter. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, put spoiler warnings all over your spoilers, people, because I am never looking to be spoiled. And if somebody's just, like, leading with, like, their thinky cleverness and they're just spoiling shit all over the place without any, like, you know, burying their stuff in threads or, like, you know, putting, like, warnings not to, you know, just, like, be respectful because we can't all watch everything, like, the second it happens. And, like, sometimes we just don't want to know. Yeah, I saw happiness spoilers and like happiness when it was airing live. So I mean, this was like that's terrible. It's still brand new. It's still brand new. Like it, it is, but I saw this. It was like it ended up not being what I thought it was, which is which is fine. But still, I was like, look, it was like right, like come on, it literally just aired. And I mean, there can be like you know, like Squid Game having you know, like the red light, green light girl, and like you know, there were memes. That's fine because like you're not mm-hmm. giving away like the core twists of the plot, right? That's and episode so, one. You know, and yeah, you can have like part of it be memes that are funny, but like it's when you're giving away like some of the big twists that like the shows are setting themselves up for. It's just like, no. Yeah. Okay. I would like to, though, I would like to reiterate that I did not spoil something because I'd seen it and I was like, haha, this is what happens. I guess the plot device. And I was right. I was that. I am not. I am not an intentional spoiler, and I do not post spoilers or anything like that. So I don't want anybody to be afraid to like, you know, look (laughs) at my social media or anything like that because I that drives me bananas. But I will say that I did spoil myself on purpose once, and that was for Avengers: Infinity War, which was part one of of two of the Avengers. You know, Infinity War and Endgame. Because I was so stressed about, because they're, you know, everybody's saying all these people are going to die and all these Avengers are going to die. I was so stressed about who was going to die in Infinity War that I looked up spoilers. And it ruined the movie for me. Like, it it did. Like, I mean, I love the movie still because I love my Avengers, but I was like, but I was just, I was super stressed out. And so that took away my stress, but it also took away half the plot for me. You know? Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would so agree. Hard. I had an editor who used to tell me that before she decided to read any book, she read the last page first. Mm-mm. And I know that she's not alone in that. However, yeah. like when I hear it, like, look, everyone, you do you. And it gives me like a visceral feeling of just like pain. Well, and mm-hmm. here's a, like here's the funny thing, because my kids are both very different. So I did that before my kids and I went to go see Infinity War. And my son was like, tell me everything. Like, he wanted to know. And my daughter was like, you better not tell me anything. And, like, because my son, like, begged me and dragged it out of me, I told him. And we didn't tell her. And it was fine. And they both got what they wanted out of the movie. But, yeah, I I, I learned my lesson. And I won't do that again. But it, it was, like, it was a product of my stress of, like, worrying about which of my favorite characters, you know, was, was possibly going to die. So basically, like, you don't want to sit next to me in a movie, I guess, because <laughs> Show my, my ego, right, my ego will not let me shut up if I have a prediction. And that's my problem is that I love, I mean, like, that's, that's how we teach kids to read, right? Like, we want them to predict and, and stuff like that. But as now as an adult and as a writer and somebody who is really into story structure, it, it is, it's kind of like a game with myself that, like, I want to win. And I want you to know that I won. (laughs) So yeah, don't sit next to me in a movie. So Theodora Taylor is a best-selling romance author and author of the writing craft book, Seven Figure Fiction. 
how to use universal fantasy to sell your books to anyone. For anyone who writes and sells books or who wants to write and sell books, this is a must read. It doesn't matter what stage of the writing game you're in. It's something you need in your craft arsenal. So here's the Amazon blurb for the book. There are only, in my humble opinion, two kinds of readers. Readers who love your books and readers who don't know they love your books yet. But how do you reach those readers in the second category, no matter what kind of writer you are? The answer to that question is universal fantasy. Universal fantasy is why my sales tripled when I accidentally wrote three books that landed in the Amazon top 100. Universal fantasy is why some authors get gobs of gushing reviews and some authors who write way better get crickets. Universal fantasy is the answer to many of the questions you might have thought were unanswerable or simply up to luck. Like, will this sell? Why is that selling? Why didn't this sell? Will readers like what I am writing? Why do I love the TV shows, books, entertainments that I do? Why did I buy that thing I bought when I didn't intend to buy it? Be warned, once known, universal fantasy cannot be undiscovered. Leave this book be if you're truly satisfied with your current writing life. But if you're not afraid, if you're ready to know the secret hidden inside all best-selling stories, open this gift and find out how to use universal fantasy to write and market books that sell to anyone. Universal fantasy is exactly what it sounds like. A fantasy that we like to live out via romance novels, movies, K-dramas that has universal appeal. According to Taylor, quote, universal fantasy is what makes that body of the story live. The lifeblood, the muscle, the personality, everything that brings true joy to that first cup of coffee in the morning and doing cartwheels in the sun. There's a stick of butter on the cover because she likens universal fantasies to butter in your food. It's what makes it rich, full, and taste delicious. Today, we're going to apply some of these universal fantasies to our top dramas to help explain why we love them so much. But first, Megan and Leah, as writers, before you read the book, did you know what universal fantasy was? If yes, were you consciously using it in your writing? And if no, were you using it anyway and you just didn't realize it? Or was your mind a little blown and you're only now thinking, oh damn, I need to use more of this? <laughs> so I first heard about Universal Fantasy when other authors were gushing over a presentation that Taylor made on it at a writing conference, and which I had not attended. So I was really, really excited when she wrote a book on this popular topic. Like when she released it, Every one of like my writer friends, it was all over their Facebook feeds. Everyone's like, you need this book. You need this book. So of course I grabbed it. As I was reading Universal Fantasy, I realized that I do very much use Universal Fantasies in my writing, particularly my alien romance books, because those lean very hard into tropes and Universal Fantasies. I don't think I had the terminology to describe it, which I, is what this book excels in. I had two main takeaways from this book. First, a feeling of validation on why I love the things that I do in romance books. We are selling a fantasy when we write, and these fantasies have a wide range to suit all types of people. It's the same with K-dramas. I appreciate Taylor's positive prose when it came to these fantasies. There's no shaming, no use of the words guilty pleasure. Just, hey, these are things you love, and there are likely readers and K-drama watchers who love them too. And I really appreciated that. The second takeaway is more writing focus. So yes, Taylor talks about what universal fantasies are. But as the name suggests, she teaches you how to highlight these in the marketing of your book. From a K-drama perspective, because I mean... Yeah, I want to know how to use it in my, you know, author writing career, but I'm always likening like everything I do back to K-dramas too. So from a K-drama perspective, I think that this will give us a 
better way to explain to our listeners why a K-drama resonated with us and also do a better job pitching it to them and why we think they'll like it. And clearly, I need help with this because I tried to pitch Healer to Leah as Jean-Claude Van Damme-esque. So hashtag never over it. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is not one of Leah's universal fantasies. <laughs> no, it's not. So I had never heard of the term until um, Megan recommended that we should read the book. But what resonated a lot for me is the idea that trope serves much like the brain of a romance. So let's say enemies to lovers, one of the classic romance tropes. But then universal fantasy is more of like the beating heart, or as the author says, it's the candy that makes the story really delicious. So let's go back to like that trope of enemies to lovers. So then if we layer in then like some universal fantasy, our hero might also be first appearing as say a one night stand who then happens to come in the next morning as your domineering new boss who turns out to be a bully to everyone, but somehow you and you alone heroine get under his skin. So I'm not saying any of this flies in real life. And I'm just going to say that once in apologies because now I hear my dog barking. So my family, my family's wrestling upstairs and this is why I need universal fantasy. <laughs> Absolutely, You can hear my real life, but I'm going to just say this once in this podcast is yeah. fantasy is not real life, but there is a reason stuff is fun. So you might not want boys over flowers in your school, but there's a reason that that story keeps getting remade. And that reason is that there is something about the idea of a rich boy who is full of emotional boo-boos, who somehow hates everyone but you, and he's also rich as shit. And like, <laughs> don't even come at me with feminism because fantasies are inherently feminist. And if it's getting turned on by Lee Min Ho telling the heroine to lick ice cream off his boot, and I like it, I said what I said. I said what I said. I love it. My time. My time. <laughs> I feel like if Theodora Taylor listens to this, she'll be like, yes. Yes. She, yeah, talks, I about mean, bully, I, she talks about bully romance in, in Universal Fantasy yeah, a lot. Yeah, that is a Universal Fantasy. And, I, and mm -hmm. I love that we're talking about this idea that, like, None of this is real life. That's why it's called fantasy. Yep. The stuff that we like in our fantasies is not stuff that we would necessarily play out in our real lives. That's why it's a fantasy. And it's important mm -hmm. to note. Yes, my re my real life husband is upstairs wrestling with a dog and three kids. That's cute. <laughs> and I'm saying I can still find it attractive when a bully high school boy wants somewhat holds up his foot and goes lick it. And I'm like, well, damn. <laughs> If it's Lee, if it's Lee Min Ho with its curling iron killed hair, curled oh hair, like yeah, and I mean, like yeah, curl. I know we've talked before about like when people like are like you know you need to turn in your feminist card if you like stuff like that, and I just want to like let's stop judging, stop judging, yeah. and the fact that you know I have like the mental wherewithal to know that like yes, things can be problematic in real. Anyway, I've, I'm now just repeating myself, and I said what I said, and <laughs> that's it. All right. So let's get down to it. We are not going to summarize Taylor's book for you because, especially if you're a writer, it's important to sink your teeth into the details and see how her examples of universal fantasy can be applied to your own writing. What we are going to do is look at our top dramas through not only a writer's lens, but a universal fantasy lens to show why these dramas work and why they get romance right for us. And hopefully once we're done, you'll have a better understanding as to why your top dramas are your faves as well. 
So how about if we kick it off by talking about what our favorite dramas are that we chose to watch for this occasion? So Healer, I mean, it always comes back to Healer. I get giddy even thinking about this drama because it just makes me so happy. There's a lot to love in this big cast. And now that I read Universal Fantasy, I can identify so much easier why I love it so much. As Theodora Taylor would say, it's dripping with butter. I went with Reply 1988 as it was a drama that I probably have thought the most about since watching it. I found it totally heartwarming, and it was just this gorgeous story of families of origin, families of choice, first loves, forever loves. And once I read this book, I could see all sorts of universal fantasy elements at work that I think really function to make the romance in this drama work so well. And shocker, I chose Goblin or Guardian, the Lonely and Great God. Gong Yu is Kim Shin is and will always be my one true love. My emotional boo-booed hero who can only be cured by my love. My <laughs> faded mate. <laughs> this, okay, so maybe not mine, but this is one of those dramas that for me is infused with storytelling magic that makes it infinitely rewatchable and causes me to feel all of my feelings very, very bigly. I experienced the highest highs and the lowest lows in this drama, and for 16 episodes, I am in it. Everything else just sort of disappears when I watch this drama. And before reading Seven Figure Fiction, I just thought, well, Kim Moon-suk is some sort of writing sorceress, and I don't know how she does it. And I still feel that way when it comes to Goblin, but I feel like I understand a bit better why this drama resonates with me so much because of this idea of universal fantasy. So Disney is a treasure trove of universal fantasies, especially Beauty and the Beast. Whether or not your drama has any parallels to the Disney movie, animated or live action, I'm willing to bet that one of the Beauty and the Beast universal fantasies applies to your drama. So we're going to take one of Taylor's Beauty and the Beast examples and apply it to our own dramas. Okay, so as I shared earlier, I'm not into spoiling things, so I'm going to talk fairly loosely here about Reply 1988 because Amy has not watched it and Megan's currently watching it. So one thing um, about Reply 1988 is it absolutely has a humdinger of a love triangle at its core. It also presents characters with emotional boo-boos that are literally like salted caramel delicious delights for me. Like just so many little emotional boo-boos embedded in different characters. But here's another one that it has that I really want to talk about is it has a, the idea of a fixer-upper. So in Reply 1988, we have a character who is so competent in one area of their life and yet legit cannot tie his shoelaces. It's not that he forgets to tie them. He just literally cannot tie them. But he's also rich and famous and lovely. He also can't remember to eat food. He can't sleep. And he basically just cannot function in the regular world. But he's so adorable and kind. So, of course, you just want to help him. I know who you're talking about. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, God, that makes me... <laughs> it's just so delicious. I have to... We'll talk probably about Reply 1988 a little bit later when we talk about what we're watching because it is it is dripping with butter. All right, so I'm going to go with being forcibly removed from your boring life or somewhere you don't fit in. So who doesn't want to dive into a good story or a K-drama to escape the monotony or stress of their own life every now and then? Um, hello... Most, if not all of us, subscribe to this fantasy at least once a week these days, if not more. That's why Taylor considers this a universal fantasy. Most of us can't just up and leave all our troubles slash responsibilities slash provincial lives behind, nor do I want to be kidnapped and forced into a life I didn't choose 
even if I will end up with a fairy tale ending. Kidnapping blows, and I want no part of that. But I can live vicariously through the infinite versions of Belle and the Beast. Just like Belle wanted to escape her provincial life and became a prisoner of the Beast, June Tack wants to escape her loveless aunt and cousins. Her family only takes care of her because they think they will recover Untak's long-lost bank books that will reveal insurance money left to her following her mother's death way back when Untak was nine years old. When she meets her Dokabi and is whisked away to be guarded by him and our faithful Grim Reaper, she, just like Belle, escapes her provincial life, not necessarily for something immediately better, but ultimately for something that will change the course of her life and offer her a chance to be with her one true love, her fated mate, my, I mean her, <laughs> Kim Shin. So this is really hard for me because, so she lists like 10 universal fantasies and I think Healer has like 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with wounded main character in need of love, healing, and understanding. Healer or Jung-Hoo, played by Ji Chang-Wook, is a pretty classic damaged hero with a wide range of emotional boo-boos. He's been abandoned by pretty much everyone he loves, and he lives in this sort of, like, uninterested state. He says that in the drama, how he's like, I kind of just drift through life, and nothing, nothing interests me until he meets young shin and he's working as a knight errand boy you know he lives all alone in this barren warehouse uh in order to make enough money with to really clean on- bedding really with clean really bedding. clean white sheets though but he just wants to make enough money to go live on an island by himself and he's really eschewed all personal relationships but young shin is the one who captures his attention and she absolutely does understand him like they really do have good communication and she helps him heal and i will say bonus there is a scene where young shin has to take care of a very heartsick Jung-Hoo and is a wonderful wounded hero scene, which we've talked about before on this pod. And I just bonus, I need to mention, there's also a really fantastic universal fantasy makeover scene. Oh, it's one of my favorites, uh, where a scruffy healer gets like slicked back hair and a suit while Young Shin rocks like a red dress and heels. It's just such a good makeover scene. So basically what we have here is a Beauty and the Beast trope, right? Like, like Leah mentioned before, the conventional plot device. And the aspects of Beauty and the Beast that we applied to our favorite dramas are the butter or the universal fantasies. So what do you think, listeners? Is it working? And what do we think? I mean, I'm actually so surprised at how easy it is. I could probably talk for an hour just by myself on all the universal fantasies in Healer. Yeah, I totally think it tracks. Like, it was easy to apply Taylor's very first example of universal fantasy to Goblin and see how perfectly it fit. And like you were saying, Megan, about how you could apply so many of them to Healer, I was like, oh my gosh, these are like almost all in Goblin. So it is such a great way to explain why we love the things we love. And now let's get into one of our favorite segments of every episode. It is our K-pop wreck of the week. What do you have for us this week, Megan? So I am going to wreck Pirate by Everglow. So they are a girl group. I really love their music. It's just a little bit more on the edgier side and love their choreography, love their styling. It's just a really fun song. And I think it's starting to kind of go a little viral because the key point in the dance is a little bit easier to do. So the video is beautiful and I recommend it. So yeah, again, it's Pirate by Everglow. And as we kick off the new year, we want to remind everyone that we have a Patreon. 
Uh, and you can get a lot of benefits on Patreon. You can get a bonus episode every month. And then you can also participate in a live K-drama support club with us and the rest of our patrons. And you can check that out in the show notes or head to our website, which is www.afternoonadelight.com. So this time around, we are going with Cinderella, who has her own list of universal fantasies. So first, before we even get to the universal fantasy aspect of Cinderella, what are your initial thoughts on the Cinderella trope? So I guess I'll go, I'll start off and I'll say, honestly, it gets a bad rap when it's viewed through the lens of the Cinderella character needing to be rescued by the prince. But I actually like this trope. I think it's one of the reasons why I did fall in love with Goblin. I think Cinderella has more agency than she actually gets credit for. And I think she's just as responsible for saving herself from her evil stepmother and stepsisters as the prince is. All he does is go door to door with his shoe. Cinderella does literally everything else. (laughs) Yeah, I also think the Cinderella trope gets a bad rap, especially when you break it down into Taylor's universal fantasies. It's easy to see why so many romance books and K-dramas have basically like a modified Cinderella trope. Because if you butter it up with universal fantasies, it is delicious. (laughs) How many times can I say that? I'm I'm going to say it as many times as I can. It's all about butter. All about it. So I live in a small house. It's California. Everything's hellaciously expensive and relatively tiny. So I'm in like the very back of my house downstairs. And if you hear my family like rustling in the front of the house, they're upstairs. I'm as far away from them as I can be. I am referencing this because I am tying this all back into the Cinderella trope. Just give me a minute to get there. So (laughs) you could hear my dog barking probably at one point in excitement. So yesterday... My youngest comes up to me with her big blue eyes full of concern and says, Meadow, our dog, just vomited everywhere, which is never the news you want to get ever. (laughs) This is like a big dog and I am not good with vomit on a good day. And I will take human vomit 10 out of 10 before I get into animal vomit. It's just there's something about it that does not work for me. So I go downstairs and on the landing of the stairs right by the front door, God bless her soul for wanting to be outside, is just a mountain of dog puke. Okay, I won't I won't belabor it, but just know it was a great deal. And I was like, oh, boy, I don't know how I'm going to get through cleaning this because Nick was out. My husband was out mountain biking with my son and like I couldn't leave it. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, so. What happened next was I was taking a dustpan and literally scooping it with a dustpan. And halfway through, I began to vomit myself. (laughs) And I didn't want to, like, vomit on vomit because that would be gross. (laughs) So I took my shirt because I was panicking and I vomited inside my shirt. So basically just vomited all over my boobs. And was like, well, shit, man. And as I'm vomiting, I'm like, I don't want to be vomiting on myself right now. I need to stop vomiting. And in trying not to vomit, (laughs) I started to pee my... Because I had to pee. I was like going to the bathroom when this happened. I started to pee myself. And I was like, what? (laughs) What the Christ just happened? Like... Three minutes ago, I was, like, working, being like, I got to get up and go pee. I've been drinking a lot of water. Here I am three minutes later, wetting my pants, puke on my boobs, (laughs) in a mountain of dog vomit. And all I'm saying is you cannot (laughs) tell me that it is anti-feminist in that moment to be like, (laughs) 
Where the F is my fairy godmother? Where is my pumpkin? Where is my prince? And like, get me out now. (laughs) (laughs) That is the best defense of the Cinderella trope I have ever heard in my entire life. My story is not as bad. I just want to say this real quick. I mentioned in a previous podcast how we found my daughter got lice. Okay. So I found a bug in her hair and like, that was it. It was like all hands on deck. I'm like running to tell my husband, you got to go get lice treatment. And earlier in that evening, I had told my son to like take the bearded dragon out while his name is Waffles and like let him run around a little bit. And I said, like, keep him in the playroom. But of course, my son didn't. So I am walking up the stairs with like lice treatments. My daughter's like in the bathroom crying because she has bugs in her hair. And I get to the very top of the stairs and there's just a mountain of bearded dragon poop just like and I was like, I'm gonna cry. Like I, I, nope. I have to. And that, like, I that, lice. that ish is nasty. I, I, it is beyond nasty. Like bearded dragon, there's nothing like bearded bag dragon poop. Just that's what you're learning tonight on uh, the podcast. And uh, same thing. If someone would have just like whisked me away, pets are pain. Like, seriously, you know, like this is not pain Olympics or anything, but just to, like add to the yeah. pile. Like I've got fucking yeah. squirrels in my attic. <laughs> Three, three have been trapped. Y'all, I have to stick my head up into my attic every morning and check squirrel traps every fucking morning, and I have found three, and they are not happy to see me. And I have to pay a hundred dollars every time they come and retrieve a squirrel. Yeah, like every fucking time. Bibbity bobbity, bibbity bobbity boo. Yes. Bibbity bobbity boo me the fuck out of my life. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody, nobody wag your finger at the goddamn goddamn Cinderella trope because I want out. And if you do wag your finger, then you come clean up the bearded dragon poop and you pick the lice out of my daughter's hand. And And you remind me adults and get me adult diapers, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. I mean, seriously, you guys, real life sucks sometimes. Oh, wait, let me just add what my handsome prince did because right after this, I was like, (laughs) I need to get. So then I cleaned, then I took out, like, we've got, like, whatever. I don't even know what you call it. Like, the thing that you do to, like, clean floors that are wet. What what is it called when you. Steam cleaner. A steam. No, it was a carpet. And so I'm, like, steam cleaning the carpet. And then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, like, leave the door open for a minute. Like, let this. I don't even know what. And then my husband comes back from his mountain bike ride and is like, well, I just hear his voice, <laughs> Leah, like with his little accent, like Leah, Leah. <laughs> and I'm like, Lear. yes. And he's like, the front door's open. I was like, I know. I do know. <laughs> and there's a good reason for that. When you come let in, me, I'll share. Let me tell you. Let me and then you. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go in the shower because he doesn't need to come in and just see me covered in vomit and piss and puke. <laughs> And so I'm in the shower, and he comes in. He's like, "Oh, I'm a, I just got done with a bike ride, and I'm cold and muddy. I was really hoping I could take a shower." And I was already in the shower, and yeah. I was like, "Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> darling, <laughs> just a moment <laughs> while I freshen up. <laughs> Put a shoe on this, Prince. <laughs> this is after the happily ever after. <laughs> Cinderella covered moment. in puke and piss." <laughs> 
I know you. No, that's Sleeping Beauty. I walked with you once upon a dream. <laughs> okay. Can you imagine if this is someone's first podcast they're listening to us? <laughs> I mean, just know this is par for the core. Yeah, this is what happens. So, okay. Right. We all rewatched three K-dramas. Um, what is, and we're now talking about Cinderella Universal Fantasy in case anyone wasn't, hadn't figured that out by now. What Cinderella Universal Fantasy or Fantasies shows up in your K-drama rewatch? For Goblin? Let's see. Insta-love? Check. Untak says she loves Kim Shin the second she realizes he's a Dokubi because she has been told her whole life that she is the Goblin's bride. True love match or faded mates? Again, Check. Untak was fated to be the Goblin's Bride the second Kim Shin saved her mother's life in that bloody puddle of hit-and-run snow. Suffering main character, this fits both Untak, who suffers at the hands of her horrible aunt, and Kim Shin, who has suffered through nine centuries of existence, losing friends and loved ones, and never finding his bride to remove the invisible sword from his chest so he can be at peace. And then, when he finally does... He falls in love with her and wants to live so much suffering. And I'm going to toss in one more universal fantasy, which Taylor calls Pluck Rewarded. Untak is one of the pluckiest heroines I've come across in K-drama. Her pluck guides her through the magic door to Quebec with Kim Shin. It earns her the part-time gig at Sunny's Chicken Shop. So spoiler for the ending of Goblin here. So fast forward if you don't, if you haven't watched Goblin and you don't want to hear anything about the end, but... The final pluck rewarded her pluck. Give it just a moment for people to fast forward. Spoiler queen. Oh my God. (laughs) I said three, two, one. Now here we go. (laughs) Chuck a fucking squirrel at you. (laughs) Her pluck is what wears down Kim Shin's emotional defenses, allowing him to finally fall for her, and it's the same pluck that allows her to end her first life with the reward of keeping her memories and reuniting with her goblin again when she is reborn and the time is right. I'm starting to think that Kim Eun-suk is really dialed into the appeal of Universal Fantasies because this drama is pretty much bursting with them. And can I just add one observation? It's not a universal fantasy, but it's an observation, which is there is a real alignment between kind of what happens, I feel like, with Kim Shin and Yoon Tech as fated mates that kind of parallels Jacob and Renesmee from Twilight. (laughs) Do not ruin Dalvin for me. Do not. I did not expect that. Did not go where I thought it was. I see where you're going with this, yeah. and I, while I do agree, say no fucking more. <laughs> I'm just saying she's in the belly, and he's like, I must, you know, I saved this person, and now she's his fated mate. And But funny, it did not work for me when Stephanie Meyer did it. But it did for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, moving on to Megan. <laughs> okay, so for Healer, I'm going to go with the true love match, universal fantasy, or fated mate. So I adore that a contemporary K-drama, as in no paranormal or fantasy elements, nails the fated mate universal fantasy, as well as healer. When I saw the flashbacks to Young Shin and Jung-Hoo playing as kids and talking about their island and how Jung-Hoo had carried that into his adult life without realizing why, like, oh my heart. 
I know K-dramas love main leads, meeting as kids and all that stuff. But in Healer, it was really so important to the overall plot, which was just woven so wonderfully together. I just adore it. And I want to add pluck like Amy did. You know, if there was ever a heroine with pluck who is rewarded, it's freaking Young Shin. She's plucky as all get out. I mean, some of her pluck was not rewarded. (laughs) (laughs) But overall, if she was not as plucky as she was, many plot points never would have happened. And I am going to go with Obsessed Hero for Reply 1988. So this is someone who's got, you know, a lot going on in their life. But you know what? When it comes to the heroine, she is important. And I'm talking like she with the capital S. There's always time for her. He will always fight for her. He will never give up on his dream for her. And, you know, like Megan says in some of her alien books where the aliens all have like this catchphrase, she is all. Like, (laughs) you know, we have this obsessed hero, she is all dynamic and three of the romances in Reply 1988. And I am here for it. So obviously I wrote those books before I heard about Universal Fantasy. And I just, it's... The whole point is that, you know, these aliens like women are the most important. They kind of come from a matriarchal society. And the so I had them have this like catchphrase, she is all. And I really didn't. I mean, I didn't expect it to be super important, I guess, to readers. And they freaking love it. Like they say she is all the time. I one time I made like bracelets with she is all written on it and gave it away as swag and they loved it. So I wrote that universal fantasy without realizing it. And clearly it's what people want. So Taylor offers some contemporary examples of universal fantasy via some Shonda Rhimes shows like Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and Bridgerton. You can probably relate to the universal fantasies examples used with these shows. So how about choose two of these universal fantasies and explain what they are and how they apply to your drama? Okay. So since I confused Megan and Leah with this question, I'm just going to do it, <laughs> which is fine. And I'm sorry that I didn't like word it no, a little bit more it's carefully. Us. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I mean, I, I did say whether or not you've seen these shows. Sorry, leader. Relate. Sorry, RM. It's okay. <laughs> Namjoon, not happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I went with Bridgerton. Bridgerton is the one that I've watched in its entirety from from this list anyway. But I, I think that you can look through some of these fantasies and still kind of get how they might apply to a drama that you love, even if you don't know these shows. So while the series was not my favorite, its appeal and the reason I watched was because of the universal fantasy of a story that takes place in an opposite world, a world so unlike our own. I mean, I might be having a bit of a light bulb moment here, but I think this universal fantasy speaks to the appeal for me of K-dramas in general, because even the contemporary ones are set in a place that seems so far and so different from my own. Can I go to Seoul someday? Sure, it's possible. But right now, especially with the state of the world, it seems more like fantasy than a reality. But back to Goblin. While Goblin does take place in the real world... It is what we consider in the writing world an urban fantasy, real world with magic and paranormal creatures. But I do also love stories that take place in actual fantasy worlds as well. All of this is my catnip. It's why I fell so hard for the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid, which Taylor also mentions as well in the book. Ditto for A Wrinkle in Time. I wanted a wardrobe or the ability to tesser, and now I want my very own Dokubi. Actually, a very specific Dokubi. Kim Shin. <laughs> I was also obsessed with the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid. Oh, my God. I wanted to walk into a wardrobe so bad. 
Right? It was such like, a cool, yeah. This idea of being able to transport yourself to another world, I don't know, like, it wasn't like I had this, like, horrible childhood or anything that I wanted to escape. It was just the beauty of this, like, fantasy realm type thing and all of the stuff that couldn't happen in my world. Yeah. You know? Heck yeah. And I wanted to try Turkish Delight so damn bad. And I remember when I finally tried it when I was, like, 20, and I was like, well, damn. That was kind of a letdown. <laughs> and now... <laughs> Now I like it. Now I like it again. Like now I'm like, you know, I don't know. I've evolved. I don't know. It came, it it came in the holiday box of universal yums. And I was not a fan of the rose flavored Turkish. I I ate the crap out of that. I like, I figured you would like it. I figured it tasted like, (laughs) because I figured you would like something that tasted like a bouquet of roses. (laughs) I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. I don't, it's neither. I just know that like, you have a more, like, I think you have a more unique palette than I do. I like the orange and the lemon just fine, but both my daughter and I bit into the rose and we were like, no, 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 I'm eating, I'm eating flowers. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In chapter 13, Taylor recommends writing the book description before writing the book, starting with a one sentence pitch. She cites Michelle Schusterman's fast outlining method on YouTube as a great place to get tips on pre-writing. And Schusterman shares a model to write this one sentence pitch, which is similar to a craft book, Save the Cat, that uh, the three of us like to use. And here is the model. We would say the character was status quo until an inciting incident happens. And here's how it affects the main character's life. Now the character must achieve a goal despite the conflict or else there's a consequence. So do you write your book descriptions before you write your books? Yes, I do. 100%. I write this sort of like logline model, which is very similar to like what the back cover copy of a book would be. Like if you flipped over the back of a paperback or you opened the book jacket of a hard copy book, that's kind of what this is. So I always write this before I even plan my books. I write... I write this sort of a log line before I outline and then I outline before I write only because I have to because my editor requires that I write an outline. But then once that outline is written and I know that I have a full story, I like put it out of sight, out of mind, and I fly by the seat of my pants from there. (laughs) Yeah, so I used to never do this. Um, I used to like pretty much completely pants books like I didn't even use an outline but now I always write the blurb before I even start the book just to nail down my tropes and my universal fantasies in the blurb and it's just so like at a quick glance I can see I can kind of keep myself on track like if (laughs) sometimes when I'm writing I end up like veering into like different territory but I can go right back to my blurb and be like okay this is the conflict this is kind of the tropes and the universal fantasies i am trying to achieve and i can stay on track and i would say i do sometimes it's always a better idea to do so but it's a, i'm a little bit different in that you know mostly since 2019 i've been mostly involved in like more of like the book plotting side where i've been like doing lots and lots of book plotting for this company that I have and then you know other folks are often writing the books but I do think that I have been thinking a lot more about story construct and less about that universal fantasy which makes it like you know taste good I'm not using I don't want to say butter again in this <laughs> I know but I think that that's what this has been kind of a good experience to think about you know you can have a story be technically well paced 
But if you're not giving those like really delicious elements to it, it's still going to feel flat. And so I think that this has actually been a really helpful exercise in reflecting on why that works. And, you know, sometimes we see dramas that aren't even like very in-depth, right? Like we'll watch a K-drama and there's not a ton going on plot-wise. However, it's just like hitting all of our emotional buttons and we're totally loving it. And this is, I think, a lot of the reason why. Whereas sometimes, you know, I've watched dramas that have like more of an intricate plot, but you know, it's lacking some of the universal um, fantasy elements. And then as a result, I feel just like a little bit more like it's a sh- it's something that occasionally sometimes I can set aside more easy. You know, it's so funny. I think so. One Spring Night to me had a lot of universal fantasies, like a lot. And it was very watchable, like compulsively watchable. Uh, and there wasn't a lot going on outside the romance that didn't have this like massive external plot. But again, I was really drawn into the universal fantasies of the romance that was in it, where as opposed to Lawless Lawyer was still a a great drama, but I would say the universal fantasies of Lawless Lawyer were much less. And it's fine because for again, for we've talked about Lawless Lawyer for what it was, it was it was really well done. But from a universal fantasy perspective, um, there just there wasn't a lot. And I do remember kind of feeling like a little bit of the heart was missing and like the butter, like there was no kind of like fat to like the romance. That's a like great that. drama to bring up because it that is. was one that I did not actually enjoy it nearly as much as the two of you. And really, I only enjoyed it because I had my own fetishizing right. universal <laughs> fantasy with the villain. You did well, <laughs> and I was going to say, I mean, like similarly, I was going to say the universal fantasy for me was just Lee Jun Gi. Like, right. that, you know, like, and sometimes that's all it takes when we're talking about visual media. Well, even with authors too, like, you may, you know, like, sometimes once you already have a favorite author, you're like, I'm going to read anything by that person, even if it's not my favorite book, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I think we get into that with K dramas is like, I will watch anything with Lee Jun Gi in it or Lee Min Ho, even if it's, I mean, like, how many times have I talked about personal taste? Like, I stuck with it till the bitter end of that drama and I disliked it more each episode, but I kept going. You know what I mean? So sometimes that is the only thing that that hooks us. But yeah, I think that's a really great example is I loved Lawless Lawyer because I just I just love seeing Lee Jung on screen. Mm-hmm. But story wise, yeah, it didn't it didn't have the heart, it didn't have the the butter. Mm-hmm. Or even I love how she gets into in the end of the book like some of like the twistier universal fantasies that she calls them ghee because mm-hmm. it's not even it's not even regular butter, mm-hmm. it's the ghee. It's like fancy so, butter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you know, talking about that whole logline example, it's a little confusing to say, you know, character was status quo until blah blah blah. So let's put our theory into practice. So let's get creative and use this model to write our one or two sentence blurb for the dramas that we watched, making sure to include as many universal fantasies as we can in our blurbs. Okay, so mine's three sentences. All right, get, cut me some slack. I, I honestly kind of... I said you could do more than one. Okay. I said you could do... Because I did more than one. Yeah. I'm like, I broke my own rules. I kind of wrote this how I would write, say, my alien romance blurbs, with which I try to be tropey and on a little bit of like a cliffy... You know what I mean? Okay. So... Yeah. And this was funny, too, because I actually had to sit and think, would I write this from the perspective of Young Shin and Healer? But to me, Healer is the main character. I mean, the show is called Healer. 
And I would say Healer has the biggest emotional growth and character arc on the show. Agree. Healer, who by day lives alone in an empty warehouse and by night runs on rooftops as a night errand boy, takes an easy job collecting DNA from a young woman until he finds out she's connected to his childhood past, a past he doesn't know much about. Wanting to investigate further, he poses as her intern. But when he realizes she's in danger, he takes on the role of her protector all while falling for her. The more he digs into the truth, the more he puts them at risk, unless he can beat their enemies at their own game. Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot. That's a It's good, hard. That's it's, a it was a little hard with that one, especially because there's like so much, I don't know. There's a lot. There's, you can't put, that, and that's I think what the hard thing is as a writer, is you can't put everything into the back of the book because that's what you read the book for. And the same thing with the drama. You can't put everything into the mm-hmm. drama description because then who's going to sit through 16 to 20 right, exactly. episodes? <laughs> you have to condense you know? it. It's hard. It is. That's why I think actually writing the blur beforehand is good because your brain isn't clouded by all the other stuff you've put in it, put in the book. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I will say that for, for the Goblin one, I I think I, I only did two sentences, but that's because I made good use of you did. dashes. You did. <laughs> that's, if anybody has like, their own writing crutch, mm-hmm. like which we all do. M dashes is my my crutch, my go to. Well, I love ellipses and blurbs. I actually have an ellipses tattoo on my wrist. I <laughs> freaking love ellipses. And I mean, all my blurbs, all my blurbs have ellipses. Excellent. Okay, so here is Goblin or Guardian, the Lonely and Great God. Nineteen-year-old June Tech does her best to survive her monotonous life with her loveless aunt and greedy cousins until one day, she blows out her own birthday candle and accidentally summons a goblin or dokabi, but not just any goblin, a goblin for whom she is the fated goblin's bride. Now Untek must remove the magical sword from her beloved's chest and finally lay him to rest, or else death will come for her instead. That was very Boom. good. Yeah, that was good. I mean, that's my favorite. Like, to me, like, that is the butter of that. That is the the ghee of that is, like, with that description and watching the whole drama, I'm like, how can this possibly end happily? Right. And I'm not going to say whether it does or doesn't if you haven't watched Goblin, but as romance writers, that's the rule of romance. It has to end with a happily ever after. So if I read that on the back cover of a book, I would be like, oh, damn, how does this work? Yeah. When you're going into into a K-drama, there is no guarantee of a happily ever after even if it's the most romantic thing that you've watched, which I think Goblin is, for me, one of the most romantic things that I've watched. But yeah, that is, I mean, that's some big conflict there. And I think that's the kind of fairy tale conflict that I love, where it seems absolutely impossible for the fated maids to be together. Yeah, so Amy and I have both been published by Entangled Publishing, and Entangled would write our blurbs for us, and we would fill out a form essentially. So we would fill out like who our characters were, what the plot was. And I remember the question that you had to answer is why can't the two leads be together? Why can't they be together? And that was always like the crux of the blurb. That's the thing about a romance is in a romance book, you know, they're going to end up together in a romance book, because that's the definition of romance is there's a happily ever after. So you want to know the conflict. The conflict is is the draw the, the of why a reader is going to want to be drawn into it because, you know, that's the whole heart of the of the romance. But and I think about that every time I write a blurb. Stakes. It's stakes. Yeah. Right? That's the And that's the if word. you're writing a romance or if you're like it's a it's a romance K drama, like that's the hook that you want to give people. Like, you know, yes, there's going to be other stuff going on, but if it's like a romance-focused show or book, that is what you want to condense down into. 
And then, yeah, so Reply 1988 is not as high stakes as Goblin or Healer. So I have a coming-of-age story set in late 80s, early 90s Seoul, where a plucky poor girl from a half-basement apartment navigates not only the highs and lows of her first love, but also the grump who secretly cherishes and looks out for her like a faithful dog, as well as the most famous boy in South Korea who is secretly obsessed with her. I love that. Yeah, I think what the goal is is, like, you want to entice the viewer or the reader as much as possible without giving spoilers which is hard because in your head you're like well i know why they want to read this because this happens but you can't Mm -hmm. say that you know kind of thing so yeah the the stakes and why can't this work what no matter what the story is right whether it's a full-on romance or not why might this story not end well and i think that's what really draws the reader in to to find out well how does it Mm mm-hmm Or like in the case of Reply, like there's many multiple suitor choices, which is a real conceit of all the replies, is like who does the heroine pick? Reply 1988 has quite a few other like side romances as well. But I'd say all the replies kind of have a little bit of a mystery of like who's the end game. Mm -hmm. That's fun. I like that a lot. Which is different than like a traditional romance. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So finally, what's the verdict? Do we think that universal fantasy helps explain the certain je ne sais quoi that make our favorite dramas our favorites? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Honestly, this whole thing makes my, like, nerdy author heart happy. So this was kind of my idea. I was I read universal fantasy. I'm like, guys, can we please do a podcast where we, you know, pick out universal fantasies of, of K-dramas? And then you guys were like, well, let's apply it to our rewatches. And I'm just so happy. So thank you for doing this because it made me so happy to talk about all this stuff. And I really want to sit down now and sort out the universal fantasies of like all my favorite K-dramas. Like I Am Not a Robot, which is loaded with universal fantasies and also Crash Landing on You, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... I, the first I'd heard of this was just in the past couple of months when everybody was reading this book. I'd never seen her speak at a conference. So I was really excited to get into it. And I mean, honestly, I'm at a point like in my writing where I don't necessarily feel like I'm in a rut, but I'm in a hard place where I'm trying to work full time in education and, you know, still write books and stay on deadlines and stuff like that. And I need to be reminded of what is the butter of the romance Mm -hmm. and to make sure that I infuse that and that that's really going to be the heart and soul of the book. Yeah, and I think that right now we're kind of living in this time of very dry bread because at this point I'm all in on the butter reference because... Like the metaphor, we are going to like beat that until... Yeah, so I have like a... I'm living a Dickinsonian... No, (laughs) but like, you know, this is a time where our bread is dry and a little stale and, you know, we all need some big, delicious free-range, grass-fed, (laughs) yellow-tinted butter slathered on everything. And I think it's been, like, a good personal... Who doesn't like to do, like, occasional introspection or things like that? And so I think it's fun to see, oh, these are, like, universal fantasies that really resonate with me. These are universal fantasies that don't resonate with me so much. Sometimes I'm surprised by the things that I really tend to like. And so, yeah, it's it's fun to just see what pushes your buttons in certain in certain ways. And I think it's fun for us as, you know, consumers of Korean dramas and, you know, we're consumers of content and that's what this podcast is all about, is to have this other way of explaining why we love what we love. Like, why can I watch Goblin three times and still have the same 
you know, emotional reaction to it that I did the first time. And it's because of all these fantasies that I buy into, you know, that are that are my universal fantasies. And again, like Leah said, we don't all love the same exact ones. But I think the fact that we can apply multiple of Taylor's universal fantasies to our favorite dramas shows that these writers know what they're doing. Mm hmm. And so as far as a book wreck, obviously, uh, we're not going to wreck anything but this book (laughs) we talked about. So just to repeat again, it is called Seven Figure Fiction, How to Use Universal Fantasy to Sell Your Books to Anyone. And it is written by T. Taylor. And we will have all the information in the show notes. But if you're a writer or even if you're not, I really think that this is a really interesting book for anyone to identify, you know, what they love most about the entertainment they watch or consume. And what's everybody watching right now? Okay, so I finished up Happiness. I think that was the last thing that we recorded. I finished up Happiness and I watched Mad For You, which I absolutely loved and have recommended to Amy and Leah because it was a really great drama on Netflix and not real long. It was only nine episodes. So right now I'm finally digging into Reply 1988, which Leah I think is is happy about. And so it was funny because she was like, oh, give it time. You know, you, you might not like it until like episode three. And, and wait, wait, wait. But first... The reason I said this, too, was because how much did you loathe the start of Hospital Playlist by the same showrunner? <laughs> yeah, literally hated I hated the first episode of Hospital. Of, like, I, I got to be honest, looking back, I have nothing good to say about that first episode. But <laughs> I really loved the first episode of Reply 1988. Like, I was like, this was so good. Like, this is how you introduce a large cast. Not whatever Hospital Playlist did. But yeah. um, I thought the first episode was wonderful at introducing everyone um i really love how there's these like subtle i don't want to say like life lessons but there's really some like subtle introspection about like family and friends and relationships just kind of a a, like a theme every episode it just makes me really happy um and yeah i'm really enjoying it so yeah i have a i got a stupid spoiler but i'll live I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just stay away from yeah, everything. Yeah, I mean, don't read everything about... Everywhere. Don't, I know. Don't read about the main character and her boyfriend. That was my issue. So, yeah. but um, yeah, I really enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to talking about it on the pod. And I will watch. I will I will go back to it. Like I think I mentioned earlier in, in the podcast, in our podcasting days, that I did start Reply 1988 and then took a break from it after the first few episodes. Not because I didn't enjoy it, but because... At that point, I was in a place where I wanted something that was just straight romance. Right. And it's a large cast. It's a lot of other stuff going on. And because I missed Hyun Bin, so I I went to Secret Garden, which was interesting. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was a romance. I will say that. I will say that. But but yeah, I will definitely go back to Reply 1980. But right now, I am watching Happiness. And I love it. But I am super stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. <laughs> Which is why I'm glad I'm on break right now, because I will not be stressed about the day job and I can just be stressed about what is happening in happiness. And <laughs> I know it's so... It- I love it, but I'm like literally like every muscle in my body is shrunken and tensed for the entire hour I know. of the episode. And then 
I still will watch. Like I'll, I'll, I was in the middle of an episode before we started the pod tonight, and I'll go back and finish that episode and probably watch another one tonight. But that's really all I can take in one sitting is like two full episodes because I just need to breathe. Correct. No, that's the way I was too. I, I really, I didn't like binge it hard because I needed a break. And I will say for anybody out there, like I am a complete and utter wuss when it comes to violence and gore. And so if you are afraid of happiness because of violence and gore, do not be. Like, I am totally fine with it. Like, I'm not throwing the blanket over my head because of the violence and gore. I might be throwing it over my head just because I'm like, can the jump scare just come already? Because (laughs) I'm ready for it. Yeah, there's way more just them running up and down stairs. Like, someone was like, I think I saw, like, a review that was like, oh, my God, enough on the stairs. They're, like, always going up (laughs) the stairs. Or, like, just waltzing around. Because there's infected people in elevators. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny. (laughs) So, Amy, I'm not judging you for clicking out of Reply 1988 to watch Secret Garden, but I'm not not judging you either. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when it's coming to wanting a strong romance, because... But I didn't know then. Like, by episode three, no, I said, I told you I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. You are, though. You are, though. (laughs) That was was very much a, you would. You would. Have some butter. Oh my god. A little pat of butter. <laughs> so I'm finishing up King's Affection tonight. I have one episode left and I am just so charmed by the lead in this, Kim Sokwoo, who is also known by the uh stage name Rowoon and is also in a K pop band, SF nine, which was on Kingdom and didn't do very well. But he's also the lead in Extraordinary You, which I've been meaning to see for some time. And just a super, super charming actor and really have loved his performance this entire way through. So I'm finishing that tonight. And then I am going to start Mad For You, which I'm really, really excited about at Megan's recommendation. I She recommended Mad For You and Happiness. And I think that I'm obviously going to watch both. We're going to deep dive both. And Happiness sounds awesome. I just wanted to have like, I don't know, a little bit of that like quirky romance, like indie romance vibe before I got on to like... You know, I don't know. I feel like right now with the stage in the pandemic, I just needed like a little bit of a break from end time before I kind of like summoned up my reserve to get back into that. Yeah, Yeah, it's very it's very meta, like very meta. Well, it's funny because I watched I watched Happiness the same like I was stressed. And then so afterwards, I knew I wanted to start Reply 1988 soon, but I also knew that was like sinking my teeth into like something very long, very involved and so right after happiness that's when i watched mad for you and it was like a perfect almost like little palate cleanser you know what i mean that was a fun day for you yeah yeah shut up (laughs) (laughs) wait did you watch it in one day no i watched it really fast though because two (laughs) yeah i see i watched it in two days because they're nine episodes but they're only a half hour long and it's very oh okay yeah it's very quick so you're almost watching like a six episode that is very quick that is and it's also very it's clearly bingeable like that's why i was like oh it's perfect for you guys to kind of watch um especially over like the holidays or whatever yeah, happiness is not a bingeable drama. I know. Not because it's not great, I'm but sorry. just because you need no, 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 don't apologize. Yeah. Like I love it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm excited to watch more. Like, and the last I'm two exci- episodes are just stellar. I can't wait. Like I'm, I'm so stoked to get to. I, I want, I want eleven to be an epic eleven. Like it's, you say, it is. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty good. There's just a lot. Again, it, that's like kind of when a lot of things culminate. So it's really good. I mean, it's just you know they're all stuck in an apartment. <laughs> 
and the, the one woman just will not shut up about being the building rep and it's like who cares lady i know oh my gosh <laughs> no. and she's afraid and she's afraid that they want her job it's like nobody wants no your one job. gives a shit lady <laughs> yeah she's the freaking it's really funny worse it is it's really funny yeah. but i mean but also like i i mean yeah i mean just we'll we'll talk about it when we get mm-hmm. to it but just like you know the the parallels and stuff and where they think it's just going to be a few days and then the quarantine will be over that's the and best it's like you're so wrong. That's the best. When, remember <laughs> yeah. when we all thought it was going to be two weeks long? <laughs> yes. <laughs> God. Oh, here we are almost yeah. two years later. On that note. <laughs> on that note. On that note. I really do hope it is a very happy start of the new year for everybody. Yeah. And we are looking forward to just filling our lives with joy of K-drama mm-hmm. from here on out. And Happy butter. 2022. And, and butter. butter. Have a buttery, a buttery year. Yeah. Happy buttery New Year, everybody. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong!